1: Welcome, welcome to this episode of Red Sea Roundup. We're so glad that you could be joining us today. My name is Pam Marvin. I'll be your host, but I've got a sidekick today. I'm so happy to have Megan Silas in the studio with me. Howdy, Pam. It's fun to be back here. So glad. As um, many of my listeners may not know, but you are the originator of this show. Yeah, so it's so good to have you. She's since moved away,
2: but um, I've drawn her back in. <laughs> I know it's awesome. It's so nice to be back here. Um, it just it makes my heart sing every time I, I come back to College Station. It's been it has such a dear um, place in my heart. And in fact, uh, you know, when I'm driving, so I live uh, outside of Houston now, and when I'm driving here on Highway Six, and and the um, water tower that says College Station comes into view, it's just. Oh, mm. oh, come back. Come back. It's still in many ways uh, is home to my heart for sure. And, and this station, uh, just to put on the headphones, uh, it's, it's a great thing. So yeah, thanks for so having me. Thankful.
1: Oh, yes. I was like, hmm, just got to draw you in somehow. And, and you're such a wonderful resource for all of us. So thank you. And so with that, make sure that you tune in sometimes to our podcast, Shoulder to Shoulder S2S. You can do that through Spotify and the Red Sea Radio app. So thanks. Yeah. Well, today Saints of the day are Saints Cornelius and Cyprian. Um, they were uh, it, the third century Christians who apostatized and publicly renounced Christ. Not not them actually, but there was many. Um, they were called a lapsy. I had to ask the my comrades here, <laughs> my friends in Christ, what a lapsy was. So I guess that comes from being lapsed from the truth of God, right? Mm-hmm. And anyway, one of the things that really struck me about these is there was a big controversy is after the lapse, he wanted to return to the church, even though they had caused so much division, many people were like, no, we're not going to take them back in. They've caused so much trouble and so much pain Um, that no, I don't think so. But these two saints of the day said, yes, let's show them that mercy.
2: Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, you got to figure, like, okay, back then when you when the early church was dealing with these just terrible, like, persecutions and, you know, tr- Christians were being burned and killed and, you know, amphitheaters and all this sort of thing. That's what the Christian experience was. And these guys, the, you know, the, the lapsed folks, were just like... Yeah, no, I want none of that. I'm I'm going to deny Christ, and then and then when everything settles down, you know, Constantine gets in, in in and is like, oh, Christianity's all legal now, and they're like, yeah, we're totally back in, y'all. I mean, you can see how the people who suffered the persecution, who lost loved ones, would be like, uh, I don't think so, right? You right. know, but the reality is, is that what does Christ call us to? I mean, these are the prodigal sons, right? That we're called. They went and they. Went the wrong way, but heaven rejoices more over one sinner who repents than you know,
1: forgiveness 70 yeah, so, times seven,
2: unlimited. Yeah, so they they stood fast and in um and held to the truth of the gospel, which demands mercy.
1: Yes, I love it. it. Said they chose to use the merciful eyes of Christ and receive them back into the church with open arms.
2: Yeah, And that's something I think we we can remember in our own lives. Uh, Sometimes it's easy for us uh, when we have people, friends and families who maybe have um, done some things that are, you know, pretty contrary to uh, our faith, you know, that we've really disagreed with, that maybe have hurt us. And, you know, they're coming back and they're saying, you know, I've really seen the light now. And, you know, I want to come back to, you know, being, you know, faithful Catholic or whatever um, and there, maybe we hold some hardness in our heart or still, you know, grudge, begrudge the act, actions that they did. Or, or maybe we say, well, um, yeah, well, we'll accept you back, but I'm, you know, you're not going to be at the same status that I am because I was, I was always here and I stayed and I was good. And, yeah. You know, uh, we do need to have hearts of mercy. Well,
1: you know, and unforgiveness, folks, is just such a poison to your own soul. You're not doing anybody any favors by holding on to unforgiveness. And that's why Christ wants to teach us so much forgiveness, so much mercy on ourselves and those around us, because you can't have interior peace, I don't think, unless you have um, the ability to forgive on a big scale. and And some things need to be forgiven every day,
2: right? Right. And we also have to have the humility to recognize that, okay, maybe we didn't go off and go on some mortal sin rampage, but we in our own lives are falling short of the glory of God every single day. And we are dependent upon God's mercy. Um, So if we always keep in mind our own sinfulness and our own need for um, forgiveness, uh, then we can be more ordered towards uh, being forgiving ourselves.
1: Yeah, you know, it makes me go back to the Lord's Prayer where we forgive those who trespass against us. You know, we'll be measured by how well we forgive because don't we retain those in which we do not forgive? It's like retaining their sin if we are unforgiving. Right. Absolutely. So how can else that we be, you know, truly peaceful again, unless we learn to forgive on that kind of scale. It's a tough one, Amen. but we get up each day. And that's why we say the Lord's prayer almost every day. I would say. Yeah. Awesome. So thank you. um, Holy mother church for such good examples in these saints of the day. Well, there's something else that I'm looking forward to talking to the guys about that. I just saw, I hadn't seen it. I don't know if it's been, has it been officially announced about the the benefit dinner?
0: Sure has, Pam. Yeah. How you doing?
1: <laughs> Welcome, Thaddeus. I'm glad you could join us. Yes, I was very excited because, at uh, Thaddeus is prompting a few years ago, we act. I actually got to view the gentleman that will be speaking at the benefit dinner. You brought in Dr. Foley with "Drinking with the Saints," correct? Yeah, I did. Tell tell us more about him. He's such a fascinating guy.
0: Yeah, he's a p- professor of patristics, which is the study of the uh, church fathers up at uh, Baylor University. And uh, hello to our Central Texas listeners this morning and our listeners over welcome, in welcome. the Holy Land of Texas and Palestine, uh, <laughs> where we'd love having all of you with us. But yeah, he's going to come speak not only at our Brazos Valley event on November 12th at the Brazos Center this year, not at St. Thomas Aquinas, because we're going to be in a larger space where we can spread out and uh, be as healthy and safe as possible while still having a fun time. going to be at the Brazos Center. It's great. It's in
1: person. I'm Mm -hmm. glad to hear that. November 12th.
0: Yes. Yes. He's also going to speak in October, on October 8th, at the West Knights of Columbus Hall for our KYAR Waco benefit dinner. So a little twofer from Dr. Mm -hmm. Foley. So he's, as I was saying, he's a professor of patristics at Baylor, a specialist in Augustine. And he... Uh, is a best-selling author of this series of books on kind of merging the uh, cocktail culture um, the, and, l- and the liturgical calendar, um, finding uh, echoes of the saints and echoes of our, our pieces of our of Western Christendom or or Eastern Christendom for that matter in drink ingredients, um, certain how certain. Wines or beers or cocktail recipes, maybe names of drinks reflect certain aspects of um, the saints. He has a ton of of uh, recipes dedicated to the Blessed Mother, as as it uh, should be, since she's the yeah. the Queen of All Saints.
1: Right. My favorite part about that book that now almost those two things. Of actually, one of my favorite things that came from that interview that I I still hold to today. Number one was how he said we need to bring back the toast mm-hmm. to be toasting mm-hmm. because oh, yeah. it is very festive and that's why we're there is a celebration so the toast is a very very important part which leads me to the second was what he did is when he had a saint that he I guess made the cocktail after he took one of their prayers right and transformed it to a toast. I love that. It was wonderful. And those
0: are those are scattered throughout his first book, which is Drinking with the Saints. Uh, then he had another book, Drinking with Saint Nick. So that's all about uh, Christmas time mm. um, cocktails. And then also the newest one that came out this this year actually um, is Drinking with Your Patron Saint. So Drinking with Your Saints, Drinking with the Saints is sort of organized. In the liturgical calendar format, drinking with your patron saints is like, imagine that as a lives of the saints, but with cocktail recipes.
2: You know what? The whole Uh, topic reminds me of, there's a famous quote from Hitler Berlach. Uh, that says, uh, whenever the Catholic sun, wherever the Catholic sun doth shine, there's always laughter and good Mm, red red wine. wine. At least I've always found it so, Benedicamas Domino. (laughs) And I think as a person who's a convert and uh, the church that I grew up in was um, a a bit um, teetotaler-esque, you know, they weren't Baptist, but they were kind of along that road. And so to come into the Catholic Church and, and to just have that sort of Festive atmosphere that um, understanding that uh, alcohol, when used properly and not abused, is a blessing to us. And, and that conviviality that it brings about right. uh, is just, it's just a, a lovely little aspect of Catholic culture that that I, I do appreciate, um, even though I'm actually not much of a drinker, but so I'd only really be interested in the ones that have vodka in them. Uh, <laughs> There's but, plenty. But I am interested in those. Oh, oh and gin sometimes, too. <laughs> that's, so. that's wonderful. But, you know, I think
1: here we are in a Catholic center on a university campus, so I think it would, you know, one of the most enlightening things that I try and teach my children, too, when it comes to this, this is, it's a topic that's really important, is about the gluttony of alcohol or whatever, mm, yeah. um, is to try and this, the way I teach it is when you over drink, you cross into where your conscience starts to go away. It starts to fade because you lose that inhibition. Another way I tell that is that, you know, we are made up of both um, body and soul, then when we drink and we have too much to drink, you're really living just from your body because your soul starts to take a back seat because you lose kind of that awareness of the good
2: right Well, and that whole idea of, you know, m- virtue is a mod- is moderation, right? Like anything Balance. can mm-hmm. can you can either go too far one way or the other, and it's a vice on either side, right? Um, so, yeah, it, but. It's a fun topic and I'm sure he'll, he'll have some wonderful things to share. And I, I will say that I've already put it on my calendar. Good. I'm going to come this year. The I haven't been able to make it back into town the last couple of years, but I will say this, the last time I came um, to the dinner, I got um, stopped for speeding on <laughs> Highway 6, but the guy asked me where I was going, and I told him I was on my way to a benefit dinner for a Catholic radio station. He's like, oh, are you Catholic? And I said, yeah, yeah, I am. And he's like, well, where, where is it? He has like a St. Thomas Aquinas. oh, my parents go there. He let me off with a warning. It's wow. the only time I have ever gotten off with a warning for a speeding stop, and I have to be perfectly honest, I've been stopped numerous times for that <laughs> oh. particular infraction. And it was the Catholic card. So praise be to God.
0: Another reason to be a Red Sea listener, another reason to be Catholic. Guys, get out of speeding tickets. Amen.
1: Okay, so if our listeners want to come to the benefit, how do they do it?
0: Uh, Go to the website, redsearadio.org, and there are links there for uh, getting tickets to the Waco benefit or to the Brazos Valley KDC benefit. There are just a smattering of tickets left for the Waco benefit, so you better act. Today, I would say, if In you the want dates to, still get again, Thaddeus. Waco is October eighth, West KC Hall, K D C Brazos Valley is November twelfth.
1: What day of the week is that?
0: Both are Thursdays. Thursdays. Brazos awesome. Center. Brazos Center. Awesome. Dr. Michael Foley. Yeah. Drinking Looking with the to Saints.
1: Him. Well, speaking of doctors, um, coming up on the next section of this um, hour is going to be Dr. Martinez, right?
0: Yes, it's a, round, a bit about that. it's a round. It's a roundtable that uh, I hosted on sharing your faith in professional settings, and sort of what the what the legal protections are for, specifically at Texas A and M. But you can glean uh, some of those constitutional protections and legal protections for other settings as well, and just how to do it with uh, grace and affability. And it's a round table with Dr. Roger Martinez, who's in the provost's office. He's the past president of the Catholic Faculty and Staff Network. The current president, Jessica Lennerton, who is on the staff of the Residential Life uh, Office, and then Dr. Micah Green, who is the chair and longtime president of the Christian Faculty Network. And he is a member at uh, New Life Baptist Church here in College Station.
1: Excellent. So we look forward to hearing from those. Mm-hmm. So I am so glad that uh, we're all together today. We look forward to having you come to the Red Sea Roundup uh, benefit later in the year, both in Waco and on October and then in November the 12th with Dr. Foley. So stay tuned for the next half uh, with Red Sea Roundup.
3: I am I was dead in the gray.
0: Okay, welcome back. You are listening to Red Sea. Roundup on Red Sea Catholic Radio. I am your general manager, Thaddeus Romanski. I know you're disappointed out there, folks, to hear my voice instead of Pam Marvin's, but uh, she had some other obligations, um, and I so I was able to, to take over this very important conversation that we're going to bring you today, uh, September of 2020. It's a pre-recorded conversation, so you won't be able to call in, um, but nevertheless... It'll be something that you're going to want to listen to and you're going to want to share with the, those around you. I think personally, I mean, maybe I'm being a little bit, uh, you know, tooting my own horn. We'll see. We'll see. Hopefully. Hopefully it'll be worth sharing. But I have uh, three uh, three members of AM faculty or staff here with me in the studio this morning to talk about uh, religious freedom and Expressing our religious convictions in the public square and in um, professional settings, and, and maybe we'll also get into a, a little bit of personal or family uh, discussions as well. But primarily, it's going to be about uh, in professional settings and in uh, the in the public square generally. So I am joined this morning by uh, Jessica Lenerton. Say good morning, Jessica. Good morning. And Roger Martinez. Good morning. And Mike Green. Hey. And if each of you would go, let's go back around uh, in reverse order. Micah, just give a brief introduction of who you are.
4: Sure. My name is Micah Green. I'm a professor in chemical engineering, and I'm also the president of the Christian Faculty Network here at Texas A&M. I've been here for several years. I'm a Texas native and uh, I spend a lot of my time doing research on new kinds of
3: materials. My name is Roger Martinez. I work at the university in public partnership and outreach. I've been with the university for 18 years and uh, have my family of uh, three and my wife, and we, we love this area.
5: Howdy, um, I am the HR coordinator for the Department of Residence Life by day, and I also serve as the president of the Catholic Faculty and Staff Network on campus.
0: Terrific, and so uh, Jessica, where are you a parishioner?
5: Um, well, technically, I'm a parishioner at St. Mary's in Nata, Texas. That's my oh. hometown. Oh, wow. um, but we attend St. Thomas Aquinas here in town okay. um, when we're here.
0: Great. And Roger?
3: I'm out at St. Thomas also.
0: Okay. And then Micah, where are you a member?
3: New Life Baptist here in College Station. Okay,
0: cool. So we're going to be having a uh, conversation about religious freedom, like I said. And I think to to set things up, I wanted to kind of go back and talk about the climate for religious freedom and religious expression in our country currently, because I think it's it's a little bit easy to, to live here in Bryan College Station and to um, not maybe notice or feel the, the tension and the turmoil uh, in other parts of the country currently. Um, you may have heard news reports about uh, Months previous of churches, Catholic churches being burned. I think there was one in either San Diego or Los Angeles archdiocese uh, of a car being driven into the the church building and uh, a man trying to pour gasoline on on the on the building itself and set it on fire. There was a person uh, lecturing at mass who was attacked. I think punched in the face. I'm not recalling where this happened. Um, statues of the Blessed Virgin Mary beheaded in the Denver Archdiocese. Um, This is very concerning in a country that historically suffered from anti-Catholic bigotry. To see this again is not good. Um, And I know that, Micah, I'm going to let you jump in here, there's been also Tensions and and difficulties and disconcerting things going on uh, in the Protestant world, and one of those things that that uh, stands out to me now before I throw it to you, is that terrible, terrible church shooting in um, in Dallas hmm. back uh, was it the beginning of this year or yeah yeah the beginning of this year. So seeing violence happening in our churches, uh, we remember a few years ago the attack on the the black church in South Carolina. Yeah. This is, this is not good.
4: Yeah, it's a strange time. Legally, if you say, like, in the legal system, is religious liberty under threat? And actually, the news on that front is fairly encouraging. Yes. There have been a number of, of Supreme Court cases over the last 10 years that have, have ruled in favor of religious liberty every time. And a lot of the old statutes and things that have been struck down are, you know, decades-old, usually anti-Catholic uh, uh, statutes that have been, uh, you know, erected in these different in right. these different states, and those have all been struck down. So legally, uh, Americans are in a, are in a great place. Actually, better than the, we, we have been in decades past. But culturally, culturally, I feel like um, there's a lot of of concern, both that the, the the broader culture is far more openly anti-Christian than it has been in the past. Yes. And um, on in a, in an academic setting, there's a lot of fear. a yes. lot of Fear of like, what can I say? Um, not just afraid of, the, of, of legal consequences, but even of social media mobs and things like that. Um, earlier this year, uh, back in, in early March, I, I visited the University of Arkansas. And you would think, Arkansas, okay, this is not, you know, this, this is fairly safe territory. But even the faculty there were fairly terrified of, mm-hmm. their, of their own students, uh, of expressing any kind of, of religious commitments because they weren't sure how the students would respond. Um, and, and so there's a lot of self-censorship yes. going on where there's no, one's, there's no top-down authority telling people you can't say what you believe or you can't share what you believe, but out of fear of what kind of social consequences you might run into, there's, there's a lot of self-censorship.
0: Mm-hmm. And th- this brings me back to um, a book that I read in graduate school called The Liberal Mind in a Conservative Age, and it was about the university campus and the climate on university campuses in the late 1940s, 50s, and early 60s during McCarthyism. Hmm. And the contention of this author was that much of this kind of climate that we're talking about that exists on campuses today for Christians and other religious believers was a similar kind of climate. It, it's, a, it's the climate that he describes for um, liberal maybe communist sympathetic mm-hmm. socialist sympathetic faculty on the campuses in the, in during the mccarthy era where they felt like they had to censor themselves where they could be they could lose their job if they let their political sympathies be um, evident and that's decried we we all decry that kind of 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 uh, political censorship right but that's the exact same kind of climate that is being Fostered in various ways on America's campuses today, can you give us any insight on how that how that happens?
4: Sure. I, before I, before I say anything else, I should point out that Texas A and M is actually one of the best in the whole country on this topic. Yes, and to a, to a large degree, I think you know the the leadership of President Young over the last few years and showing you know we are committed to academic freedom. You know, ideas that you disagree with are not going to hurt you. Um, I, I think he, he's been very committed to that sort of thing uh, repeatedly, and, and Texas A&M actually won uh, recognition from the Foundation for Individual Rights and in Education a couple of years ago for, for his leadership. Uh, President Young had actually clerked on the Supreme Court back in the 1980s, and I think it shows, and also some of our other administrators, like like Danny Pugh have, have really been um, uh, champions for for student liberty and individual, individual rights of expression, but that's not true everywhere. Right. Um, I do think social media makes all this kind of amplified. I agree. Uh, the algorithms are kind of designed to polarize. Uh, nobody makes any money if, if you see your political or religious you know, uh, opponents, the person who you disagree with. If you see them as reasonable but you disagree, nobody makes any money out of that. So, so um, the way that we engage on social media or the way you know, during a, a presidential campaign, we tend to be pushed to the margins and to view people who are different than us as um, someone you can't accommodate. Someone right. you can't compromise or tolerate, and um, and I, I think that's that's the reason for a lot of the uh, the concern is people are like you know people don't trust each other on both sides. People don't trust each other and view the other side as a as a threat to their own liberties.
0: Right. Right. Okay. So um, with that, with that said, did, Roger, were you going to jump in with something?
3: Uh, I was just going to say with the statues that you started with and some of the things that are happening out there, our, our, our culture. When we look at hate, right? Why are they doing these things? If that statue stands for something that they don't agree with, well, we know the culture is starting to say, well, we don't agree, agree with your Christian thoughts or your Catholic thoughts. And so now we're going to come after your symbols or mm-hmm. the cross or the crucifix. And by and large, you know, you said we're here and we're kind of in a bubble but I think I would like to think the average person is like, you can't do that. I mean, this we're we're talking about God and our country founded on, you know, Judeo-Christian values and how we move forward, and and that's why we're here to talk. Also, which is like we we can speak up. Yes, it can be scary, and yes, uh, there could be a consequences consequences. But if we're speaking the truth, Jesus says, you know, blessed are you. Uh, for speaking in my name And speaking the truth So we, we just want people uh, As we're here And we'll speak more about it Is to speak the truth As much as you can People might be afraid Of losing their jobs We're not asking people To lose their jobs <laughs> We're asking them To uh, at least pray That there will be people That will speak up and And speak the truth
0: Yeah, so Thank you, Roger, for that. And speaking of speaking up and speaking the truth, I think I'm going to go to you now, Jessica. You had that great email that you sent out to the Catholic Faculty and Staff uh, Network newsletter. It's the it's the newsletter, and I'm I'm lucky enough to be on that that newsletter chain. Um, that you sent out, uh, giving some actual concrete examples and suggestions about how faculty and staff can share their religious beliefs and really just the fact that they are a believer. And I, I was so uh, impressed with that that I thought, you know we should we should get together and talk about some some of these ideas and some of these ways of, of doing so. So let's get us started with something really practical and concrete.
5: Sure. Absolutely. It was actually a meeting um, between the three of us, Dr. Green and, and Roger and myself. Um, and we were we were talking about a lot of things. And a lot of things that, um, thankfully, Roger um, wants to focus on is how do we have a bigger presence? How do we um, be in front of people on a more regular basis? Our, our inboxes and our our minds and our all of our senses otherwise are sort of flooded on a regular basis with every other identities, whatever they want to do, which is great because we have have those freedoms, thankfully. Um, but how do we support our Christian and Catholic communities um, and let them know that these things are okay, um, that they don't have to censor themselves? Um, and so the, the email that we sent out was a collaboration between Dr. Green and myself. He um, had a version and I had a version, um, and we sort of smushed them together. He sent, <laughs> um, he sent his out to the Christian Faculty Network, and mine went out to the Catholic Faculty and Staff Network. Um, and really, that's just what it said. It gave a few examples of maybe how you could introduce yourselves um, either in front of class or on a syllabus. Um, if you if you have a website or something that you use for class, how do you just put it out there um, gently but but boldly um, who you are and kind of what you stand for? So it included things like um, my name is Jessica Linerton and I'm the HR coordinator for residence life. Um, I have a family of four. I am the president of the Catholic faculty and staff network. I also um, I'm the faculty advisor or the staff advisor um, for Cali on campus, and I can't wait to see what you do this semester. So something just very simple, but also um, just really putting it out there, kind of who you are. I think another thing that we've talked about um, is is being a resource for students who who want to reach out to staff and faculty in those capacities and just slipping something um, mildly in there like that kind of lets them know who you are and that you would be receptive of maybe having a conversation with them or being a mentor. Um, Roger gratefully put together um, a door deck is what we call them in residence life, but a little um, decal that you can put on your next to your door or your placard that says, um, Christian... um, Faculty network, or Catholic faculty and staff network. We have one that hangs um, on all of our doors, but basically, it just is a is a symbol that lets students know or staff know. Um, that we're here, and we're this is our these are our convictions, and we're willing to talk about them if that's something that you're interested in, in whatever regard that is. Um, from a personal perspective, you know whether it's something that you disagree with and you'd like to have a conversation about that, or whether it's um, that you just want some commonality with a with a fellow f- um, staff member or something. Um, we're excited about those opportunities to be in front of staff and students and faculty.
4: I, I think that's really valuable for the students. I mean, think about how many students. Are coming from a Christian background. They they get onto campus. They're in a completely new setting with a completely different plausibility structure. And all of a sudden, the faith that they've grown up they've grown up with all of a sudden seems a little less plausible. Like especially, I deal with this a lot in the sciences. People think, Oh, is my faith is this kind of anti-scientific? And so, a faculty or staff member saying, "I'm a believer. I'm happy to talk to you about this." Start, starts to upset those stereotypes and say, oh, maybe this is not something that I have to lose sleep over. There's a there's someone else out there who's already been through this, who I can talk to, who says that faith and science aren't necessarily opposed to each other.
3: I do have a story. At Fish Camp last year, 2019, when they were in person, I was a namesake, and I, I have 30 minutes to talk about who I am and kind of just talk to the students. And I talked about God and being Catholic and how great the community is. And a young lady came up to me later that day and literally started crying because she said, I thought I had to lose my faith coming to college. And that is their belief that if you go to college—I'm wow. I'm not saying all of them, but I mean, this young lady's belief was, is, well, I'm, I can't be a Christian. And uh, people— uh, some of the students at the end said, I'm so thankful that you talked about this as we had our group discussion at, right. at the end of, uh, I think, the second day. And I could feel I could sense that people wanted to talk about God, but they were afraid to talk about God. So uh, a courage on speaking about that. Again, uh, I know what my rights are as an individual and where I'm at and, and when I can talk more about it and when I can talk less about it. And that's, that's part of what today's about, too.
0: So to, to spin back to uh, the examples that you gave, Jessica, um, so the three of you all kind of chime in on how how can a faculty member or a staff member who maybe is a little, little ret- reticent to maybe do that, how can they be encouraged and be given confidence that, hey, there's nothing, you don't have to worry about anything here at Texas A&M that you're – that's Things are going to come down on you if, if you do that. You you can do that with confidence and express your beliefs with confidence.
5: Well, not being a faculty member, <clears throat> I think uh, the I think for me the the plainest thing is to see others do it first, right? Um, and so I think taking this first step um, is a good one. Um, I think it's people see that there aren't consequences for stating your faith or stating your ideas. Um, again, like Dr. Green said, um, it's very much an, an academic setting. And so we're here to learn and we're here to learn from each other. And that's how we grow as individuals. Um, and we hope that we are able to grow people's faith at the same time.
4: One thing that's that's valuable is also just to do if we do our jobs well, if we do our jobs with excellence, for instance, as a faculty member, if I can show the students I'm a Christian, I'm a faculty member, and I really care about you as students. That Mm -hmm. goes a long way Mm -hmm. because a lot of students are concerned that faculty members are too caught up in research and those kinds of things, and they don't actually care about students. So if we do our job in a way that affirms the students and shows we really do care about you, I think that that goes a long way. Um, One thing I've also tried to do in the classes I teach is talk about the history of science and engineering. And so when you say someone like Kepler, someone like Blaise Pascal, they approach science in a way that they thought, I'm understanding the way the universe works, and that glorifies God. Yes. So it's an example of a Christian not just coexisting with science, but their faith actually helps them to do their job with excellence, mm-hmm. so that Christians are the examples and the, and the ones who do their jobs the best. I think that, that, that really changes the way the students think about their right.
0: faith. Right. And you can even go broader and deeper than that and say that it's actually the Christian setting of the West that made Western science possible, because we, for one, we had a belief that nature is not God. It's created by God, but it's not God itself. And so therefore, it's not uh, sacrilegious to investigate it, to experiment on it, to ask questions about it,
4: for example. Kepler actually believed that when you do science, you're figuring out the way God put the universe together. And every new thing you discover, you say, oh, I see how you did that. That's amazing, Lord.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Roger, did you have something you wanted to add to?
3: Um, no, I don't. I don't have anything. <laughs> okay, I, I lost it.
0: Okay, okay, sorry. That's um, okay.
3: Oh, I, if I, I could, mm-hmm. yes. So, yes, our university is doing great. Like Micah said, yes, we're probably atypical with some of the other universities, but there's still discrimination against. Uh, Christians at you know Texas A&;M and and I'm going to talk faculty and staff side because as I was past president one of the things I found when I was going to year meetings and, and vice versa we were sharing information we had professors say I I was clearly qualified but I didn't get selected because I'm Christian and you know most of my department is not we've seen recently at the university with one of the departments that had a Several faculty members who were uh, saying things that were against our core values. Of course, they got freedom of speech and First Amendment rights and all those other things. But when it crosses the line, I was very proud of the university and Board of Regents when they stepped up, they investigated and they send out an email to the entire system saying, look, we, we have First Amendment rights, freedom of speech, but we also have our core values so it's, it's important that if we see anything out there uh, that is not good, there's a website or there's a number that we can go to, Jessica. What is that again?
5: Sure. Ethics Point is um, how we report um, unethical activities.
3: So okay. we, can, we can report those anonymously. Just send them in or however that works. The process, it will remain anonymous. But I encourage students, faculty, staff – if they have any questions, uh, any concerns, send those to us. And I know we've all received things that we forward, we talk to the legal general counsel at the system or at the university, and they're very, very helpful. And if, for instance, I just brought one up that said, well, how, how are they supporting this, but we can't support uh, this pro-life stance. And so he walked through that whole process with me for an hour on why that we couldn't do the X versus Y. So it, we do have a lot of expertise here, and we do have a lot of support, just as Micah said. Awesome. Micah, did you have something else?
4: Yeah, I, I was just thinking about the the, the, the legal challenges to, to um, religious expression on campus versus the the, the cultural challenge. Um, I think the the biggest concern is that, that I have is, is what's called – have you all heard of this term, the Overton window? Yes. Yeah, the Overton window is like the – But
0: for those uh, of our listeners who yeah. aren't familiar with it, yeah. go ahead and explain it Yeah, too. it's
4: like the – this is the window of acceptable speech. Right. Like generally socially acceptable speech. The problem is that, um, for one thing, that there are a lot of things that were technically within the Overton window. But if you say it in a social media setting or in a class where you're being recorded – people could still give an uncharitable uh, interpretation and kind of come after you. Mm -hmm. And so that's commonly what people have been referring to as cancel culture, right? Cancel culture means you get a mob together, try to punish someone for saying something that is still acceptable, but you try to narrow the window and say, oh, that's unacceptable. One One of the concerns I have with our country at the moment is we're becoming so polarized that it's almost like there's two Overton windows if you're in one political camp Here's the window of acceptable speech. And if you're in another political camp, there's another window of acceptable speech. And so no matter what you say, somebody's going to be furious. Right. Um, I think that's really unhealthy Mm -hmm. for for the the country. And so one thing I'd like Christians to do is to exemplify grace toward each other. Be slow to get offended. Give a charitable interpretation of what the other person means. Um, David French had an article in Time just the other day that said Christians – have an obligation to fight for the unity of the country, mm-hmm. meaning that whole that that polarization where the temperature's constantly turned up and everybody's angry at each other, Christians can actually work to um, advocate for the rights of others to show grace and charity toward others and not misinterpret them things like that. Um, one controversy we had in the Protestant world a few years ago is um, the Southern Baptist Convention's Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission—they uh, advocated for the rights of Muslims to build a mosque in New York City. And you would think, why would they do that? They're not Muslims. Why would they? They're not, they're not in favor of Islam. Why would they do that? But they said, "We have religious liberty. They have religious liberty. We're going to advocate on their behalf." And because they did it, it actually opened up lines of communication between Christians and Muslims that wouldn't have been there otherwise. So that's what I'm talking about, is being unselfish, advocating for the rights of others, not being offended, even when you feel like you you could be, that sort of thing. Yeah,
0: and, and that ties right with a, an article that came across my desk a few days ago. It's titled, What It Takes to Preserve Friendship Amid Deep Divisions Over Politics and COVID-19. It's in the New York Post. It's by a Catholic author, uh, Brendan McGinley. And what he talks about is we have to— do a better job of cultivating the virtue of affability. Affability. And he points out it's a it's a virtue, which means it's something that can be built up in ourselves through practice and through work, working at it with the grace of God, mm-hmm. because everything that's good is from the grace of God, right? That's <laughs> everything we do is first from God's prevenient grace. But we can we can Strive to be more affable, and here's how he, what he says about it. I think this first line is so excellent. Affability is about treating others with goodwill, not only when their views are in accord with ours, but precisely when they aren't, precisely when they are not. It's about the wisdom of knowing the difference between the conflicts that should be discussed or simply left alone in good humor, those that require a serious conversation, and those that really are worth putting everything on the line for. And Michael, what you're talking about is that we are in a society, in a cultural context, where everything, every issue, is made into that one that you've got to put everything on the line for. Yeah. And that's simply not true. That's just simply not reality and how human beings work best with each other. So how do we? How do we? Um, again, concretely, what are some ideas that you guys have, ladies and gentlemen, have on uh, how we can have affability or an increased affability on campus.
5: I'm going to take a shameless plug opportunity. Um, So on October 16th, that's um, a Friday, we are hosting John Pudner of um, Take Back Our Republic. And he um, focuses precisely on having political conversations civilly. That is basically Mm -hmm. the title of it, Civility in Political Conversations. And so we are excited to have him come as part of the Catholic faculty and staff network. And and that can be open to all. It will be um, partially in person, but also live streamed. And so we're excited about that opportunity to help people in this regard. Okay, what's that date again? Um, October 16th.
0: October 16th. Okay. Yes, okay. So there's there's one step we can take.
5: Yeah, I think as
3: we we look at it and we and we go forward, it's talk talking about it, just like the in October's events is going to take place, and we can have differences, but we can still come back together. We can still break bread and you know have dinner together. I have family members who are totally opposite of what I believe. There is there is a book that I would recommend people read by Archbishop Chaput, which is Render Under Caesar. And it talks about bringing our Catholic faith or Christian faith, but it says Catholic. He's an archbishop. So we have to bring that into our you know, thought process on when we're doing legislation and everything. I mean, the teachings of Christ are good. They keep us as one, it helps us to be God's hands and feet. Mm-hmm. And it just seems to me is there's so much division, but really there's so much that brings us together. We don't work on that. It's again, the, the the margins and we're all trying to say, okay, so what does God say? Or how can you be Catholic and be for abortion? What does that mean? And what is this this seamless veil that that the bishops talk about and having to look at everything, it's hard. You know w- what is it? And so these conversations and some of the information that we're trying to pass out is is how do you how do you bring your faith not only into the workplace but into the public square, into politics and things of that nature. Micah,
4: you know one one thing that uh, I've been thinking about a lot lately is, you know, ten or twenty years ago, people mostly talked about how ethics are relative, and, you know, everybody kind of comes up with their own version of what the good is or the good society. You don't hear that much as, as, as much anymore. It seems like society has realized that's pretty empty. And so there's a lot of people advocating for justice across the board. People are after justice. Um, Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City, and he wrote an article just uh, in the, here in the last few weeks talking about different visions of justice. There's the libertarian vision of justice, which is mostly about individual freedom. That's mm-hmm. good. There are more social justice kind of visions, which is about like, what are the outcomes in society and how do you make sure that everybody has a fair shot? So there are these different visions of justice. And what Keller describes is if you start analyzing the Bible, what is the Bible's vision of justice? It hits all those individual points that different people care about. So for instance, if if one of your listeners right now is thinking, oh, I have this coworker or this family member who's always on about social justice, how annoying. Instead of denigrating their views, why don't you ask them, like, you have this vision of social justice and a good society. How do we get there? How do you have a, a view of other people that respects their rights and cares about them? The foundation for that view of other people and that good society ultimately comes from Scripture. So that desire they have for justice is good. They may just be pursuing it in a, in a way that's not going to get them there, the way that that um, the way that God actually wants them to get there.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great. And I think you just also hit on another Really important um, mode of personal inter- interaction, which is instead of always being instead of always making statements, ask questions. Mm. Ask a question first. Find out where that other person is coming from. Listen to them. Listen to them with an open mind, not not an open mind of, you know, you're going to let whatever they say uh, take over what you think, but just an open mind of I really genuinely am interested in finding out where you're coming from, and hopefully. Hopefully, by demonstrating that to them, you're going to set up the situation of them being open to really hearing from where you're coming from and talking about some of those first principles that you're hitting on, and being able to to set a set a um, set the table for for pointing out that it's it's the Judeo-Christian tradition that makes some of these other um, ideologies or philosophies about justice really possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think asking questions and really being truly interested in where another human being is coming from is, is also important.
3: If we look at a and mission, which is to develop leaders of character dedicated to the greater good, you know, what is the greater good? We as Christians say it's, you know, Jesus Christ, God. Uh, we are out there to do that greater good. And when you look at our core values of leadership, loyalty, integrity, respect, excellence, and selfless service, the mission and the core values, that's, those are all godly terms. And I, I think that is why people come to a and and we are so uh, well, I guess, uh, looked at as our graduates are so strong. They, they have these experiences, they have these values, and they go and make things happen for the greater good. You know, of course, there's some folks that that don't do that, obviously, but our our graduates, our faculty, our staff all work together for the greater good. And how do we develop them into be leaders to go out and make a difference?
0: Yeah, and now turning to turning to students, and that's a that's a great point, And we want we want to foster a climate on campus that is um, positive for Christian students to be able to continue to. To live and grow in their faith, um, Jessica. What from the um, what kind of resources are there for students to maybe find um, find support in that? And what what kind of uh, what's sort of what's the climate in in the student the student world from from a res life perspective? Is that a good question? Sure, okay. absolutely.
5: Um, so I think. I think, again, as we've noted several times today, um, we're we're very lucky, very fortunate to have um, the support of St. Mary's here um, and the support of a lot of different um, student organizations. We have a huge population of student organizations and a large number of them are faith based. So whether it's Christian or Muslim or Jewish, they, they all exist here. And so from a residence life perspective, um, I know that they do a lot of educating and they have opportunities to ask questions. Questions um, whether it's through your resident advisor or an academic peer mentor, all of those people would be able to put you in touch with them. But it's really as easy as going to the student activities website. Um, student activities does a great job of just being able to search all of the student organizations. So if there's something of particular interest to you, just go and search it. Um, you reach out to those folks and see how you can become a member of their community. Um, we are, are extremely blessed to um, have the Thomistic Institute, Ratio Christi, um, Bucks, here on campus, mm-hmm. there are a large number of them that I am forgetting to to mention. But these are super super organizations with really devout individuals that are extremely interested in their academics, but also just like Dr. Green said, um, doing them um, with the grace of God behind them. And so I think I think we're super blessed in that regard here on campus. And I think that's why our missions specifically are so so important um, because. We need, we need to have them come here and um, continue the fabric of their faith because they won't be here forever. Most of them won't be, right? And right. so when they leave here, God bless them. Um, we want them to be able to take all of that with them because we need this this moral and religious fabric to carry across the, the country.
4: Yeah. yeah. So if there are any students listening, one thing I can tell you is that... Um, the Christian Faculty Network and the Catholic Faculty and Staff Network are great resources to reach out to if, you, if you're part of a student organization that needs an advisor or needs a speaker or needs mentors for, for some kind of mentoring program you're putting together. Um, these two networks are a great place to start. This happened just recently. Someone reached out to me and saying, we need a mentor for a graduate student in Mays Business School, and we made it happen, um, so that some, uh, that a Christian graduate student in, in Mays Instead of going through all this on her own, she was able to find a mentor who, who's going to walk through her graduate degree with her the rest of the way.
0: That's wonderful. That is, so, that is so awesome. How can people reach out to Christian Faculty Network and Catholic Faculty and Staff Network real quick?
5: Sure. Our uh, email address is uh, cfsn at tamu.edu. Um, so all of our all of our letters at tamu.edu.
4: And you can Google us and get to the website. It'll be no, no trouble. Yeah.
0: Okay. Great. Great. Um, We have about six and a half minutes left. Uh, You're listening again to Red Sea Catholic Radio. This is Red Sea Roundup. I'm your fill-in host, uh, Thaddeus Romanski. Pam Marvin couldn't be here today. We're having a great conversation with Jessica Lennerton, Dr. Roger Martinez, and Dr. Micah Green about religious freedom, religious expression on campus and in professional settings. Unfortunately, it's a pre-recorded interview, so you can't we can't take your phone calls, but please listen and share this around with the people that you know. Roger.
3: Yes, and some of the time we have remaining, I would like to talk about sharing our faith in the workplace for faculty and staff. We were talking about yes. students, and uh, about four years ago, we talked to general counsel on that, and we, we learned a lot, and we've passed it to both networks. So we, we can, as faculty and staff— uh, quote the Bible in anything we're doing. Uh, we just have to have a diversity of quotes from presidents or other people writing books or things of that nature. If it is a uh, a faith based talk in a faith based class or whatever, then it can take up the whole, you know, time frame. So that that is things we can do in our offices. We can have anything of our faith again, Christian, non Christian, in our office a crucifix, a picture, uh, whatever it is. You can even have a Bible on your desk in your private office. These are all things that we didn't really know until we went out and, and asked the questions and got the legal answers from our folks at the system. So... In, even in our public workspaces, so we have our private offices, but we may have a public space, we can have a Christmas tree. We can definitely have a Christmas tree, little desktop, or, or if it fits in your office. But in our general area, open space, we can have a Christmas tree with Christmas ornaments. The only thing that we need to do is be inclusive of other faiths. Mm-hmm. So whatever other faiths have some type of, you know, religious holiday and that's what we do in our office on the eighth floor of Rudder Tower. So there's many ways for us to still show our faith. And if we, if we value diversity at the university, which we do, then you'll let us share our faith on our holidays and we'll let other faiths share.
4: So it used to be the case that some people thought, oh, well, you know, the First Amendment says there's no establishment of religion, so therefore no religious mentions of any kind anywhere. But the Supreme Court has has repeatedly affirmed that it's a viewpoint neutral public square. And so instead of saying no religious mentions, no religious faiths, it's what Roger just said, which is – all viewpoints are welcome. Come on. There was a recent uh, a Supreme Court case where um, there was a, a, a church that applied for a grant for yes. playground equipment in Missouri, and the state told them like, well, you're a church, so you can't have any any state funds get lost. And the Supreme Court said like, "Nope, you can't discriminate against someone just because it's religious. And so religious viewpoints are protected by the Supreme Court, and we don't have to self-censor ourselves out of fear.
0: Right. Let's real quickly, Micah, hit on this again. Let's get rid of the phrase separation of church and state. That's not what the Constitution says. The Constitution talks about there being, there's an establishment clause and there's an exercise clause. We have the free exercise of religion and we have, there's no establishment of religion. Just that's right. reiterate that or... or Speak on that from a different point of view.
4: That, that's right. And then um, uh, one additional law that's really valuable to all of us, um, uh, so the Supreme Court recently called this a super statute. It's called the Religious Freedom and Restoration Act. It was passed, passed back in, in the early 90s. And it says if the government is going to cause you to do something or, or prevent you from doing something that intrudes on your religious rights, it has to have a compelling interest. Mm-hmm. And they can usually just demonstrate that. But then they have to demonstrate there's no other way for them to do it. That could, av- that could avoid trampling on your religious rights. That saves religious people of all stripes from so much intrusion on their conscience. I mean, it's one of the really great things about living in a country like this. People in many other developed nations in the world don't have the freedoms that we have. And I think we need, as, as frustrated as we may be with the US, we need to, you know, thank the Lord that we have a place like this. Um, so
3: yeah.
0: Uh Last words, we got about
3: two minutes. Yes, so faculty, staff, students, just stand up for what you believe and, and speak up. Uh, if there's any questions that people have, we've, we've gotten them before. We can help you work through those. We can help contact the right folks to help you get the answer. Jessica, anything as we close?
5: I just appreciate the time, um, the opportunity to be here, hopefully uh, reaching other people. And we are excited to continue to do that work on campus uh, because that's really what we're looking forward to doing is being his hands and feet.
0: Micah?
4: Yeah, I know there there are thousands and thousands of students here, but I want to affirm to the students, you are not a number, you're a person, and we really care about you. And there are a lot of faculty and staff who'd be glad to talk to you about whatever you're struggling with. So don't hesitate. Come on, talk to us.
0: And there's a new, new history of the United States that came out earlier in the year. It's called Land of Hope, an invitation to the great American story by Wilfred McClay. He's an American historian at the University of Oklahoma. And uh, he writes here, America being a land of hope may also mean at times being a land of disappointment. They are two sides of the same coin. The history of the United States contains both. It is hard to have one without the other. Let's keep that in mind as we go forward. We are a land of hope, and there are going to be disappointments along the way. That doesn't have to mean that we're chicken littles and that the sky is falling. We just keep um, plugging along one day at a time, uh, loving the other person, willing the good of the other, and trying to radiate Christ's love to everyone that we come across. And we hope that Red Sea Catholic Radio helps you do that. Thank you so much, Jessica, Roger, Micah for being with us this morning, and we will see you on another episode of Roundup real soon. Bye-bye now.